So we started talking last week about worship being both private and today we're going to talk about worship becoming public, corporate worship. What happens when people get together and what has been going on in their prayer closet, what's been going on in their living room, what's been going on in their places of prayer. When that private moment of worship starts to become public, we find time and time again God the Father shakes the earth. And I'm going to talk about that today. Because last Sunday we talked about three people in their private worship. We talked about this shepherd boy named David. He's one of my favorite Bible characters, not just because my name is David, but most of us can relate of nobody really knowing our name. You know, I don't know if CNN, if, if, if I go to heaven tomorrow, I don't think CNN sending helicopters to fly around the building and say, you know what, Pastor Pleasant's gone on to heaven. No, I think that it may impact a, a small portion of people, but for the most part, the world doesn't know my name. Maybe they know yours, but for the most of us in this room, the world wouldn't stop turning if we go to heaven tomorrow. And so this young man, we, we know him as king, but he won the heart of God before he got to the throne. He didn't win the heart of God after they put the crown on his head. He won the heart of God by worshiping in a field. And when we talk about he was able to play the harp and sing and write music, and he was probably one of those weird artistic people, you know, but had a rough side to him too. And I really love his worship of trust and faith. I love when, it, when his actions match his words. Like, God, I, you know, when he sings songs like, God, I trust you with everything. My life is in your hands. And then God says, oh, man, do you see that bear come into the field? Go fight him. And he said, okay. <laughs> And all of a sudden, this young man goes in hand-to-hand -hand combat with a bear and a lion and found out that God was faithful and to enable him and empower him to do the impossible. No wonder he could stand in a field with a giant that could boom his voice and terrify the Israeli army, but not the young man that had the heart of God walking in fellowship with him because he knew God was with him with the bear, knew he was with him in the lion, and knew he'd be with him with the giant. Can somebody say amen? And then we switched over to Isaiah. And Isaiah was this guy, this prophet. He was a flawed prophet. This is our first touch your neighbor moment. He was, he was not perfect. He was flawed by his own account. He said, I'm a sinful man with unclean lips. So look at your neighbor and tell him, you ain't perfect either. <laughs> I know some people got their neighbor and they were like shocked. I'm not perfect. No, nope, you ain't even perfect either. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for me not taking a whole lot of time to, to reiterate, just got to bring everybody up to speed about private worship, is what happens in private worship most of the time is we get enamored with the awe of God and we get enamored with, with when, we, when He starts to get close to us in a moment of private worship, like Isaiah, He just couldn't contain Himself and He found Himself in the throne room of an Almighty God and we love the awe and the wonder of God and that's where you get the goosebumps. Anybody ever had goosebumps? Say amen. amen. All right, yeah. But if God continues to get closer, the goosebumps pass and conviction falls. Because the closer God got, he saw the frailty of his own humanity and thought to myself, I don't deserve to be here. None of us do. But God knew who you were before he invited you to, in, in the, to the encounter. He knew you were flawed. And so if you stay in the conviction, conviction is not there for your guilt. 
conviction is there for you to have an assurance and a faith that in the encounter with God, He has the strength to set you free, heal you, and deliver you from whatever the frailty is of your humanity. Again, can we say amen? And then we went to this woman with the perfume in the box. And here she comes in and she, he's at a Pharisee's house and uh, he has been accommodated but just at the bare minimum. But here comes this woman and he acknowledges her uh, the worth of the perfume. And he acknowledged, but what stole his heart wasn't the alabaster box and wasn't the spikenard inside it. It was her tears and her kisses and her hair coming down and he was, she was washing his feet with her tears and kissing his feet as she dried them with her, her hair and then she anointed his head with the oil. And the Bible calls her a sinful woman. And when we get in close proximity in a worship, a personal worship, close enough as the prophet of the Old Testament says, he wasn't in the lightning, the thunder, the earthquake, or the tornado. He was in the still small voice. And when we get close enough in private worship to get close enough to hear him whisper, the same whisper that told a shepherd boy he could be king, the same whisper that told a flawed prophet that he could be the voice of God, and the same voice that whispered in the ear of a woman that worshiped, you can be forgiven. It's the same voice that speaks to us in our, in our private worship. But what happens when that private worship starts to be exposed in a public environment? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you bow your heads as they pull up Philippians chapter 2 and put it up on the screen as I pray. Father, today I ask you for the moment not to pass because the music has stopped. We pray now for the supernatural power and the presence of an almighty God to start touching lives more than in the depths of our emotions. The music moved our emotions, but now, Father, we want you to, your Holy Spirit to move our very being. We want to be transformed by the power of an almighty God, and we give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The Bible reads, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God. You're good, Caleb. Uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name. So that in, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this morning I want you to understand that when we come as an act of worship, sometimes we, we tried to uh, define last week that worship is not just music. You can worship with music. You can worship with giving. You can worship with different things in your life. But the truest form of absolute worship is obedience. Now, sometimes we'd rather give him the song than being obedient. Somebody say amen. You know, because it's easy to sing. Even in an environment, I mean, anybody can sing in an environment like this. Even me, we're playing, I mean, it was loud. They're like, we're going to roar. And when they're roaring, I get the opportunity to sing. Because they cover it up. And I'm acting like I'm right on pitch, you know. And the reason people are moved is because my voice got to be able to be exposed to the general population. But I know that that's not the fact. 
It is more than music. It's more than our talent. It's an obedient life. And what Jesus, what Paul was talking about in Jesus being our greatest example of true worship, being exposed, something that happened privately that gets exposed publicly. And when it gets exposed publicly, it changes the world. I told you last week we didn't do God any favors by giving our hearts to Him. It wasn't like we made Him more God if, because we asked Him to forgive us of our sins, that He needed us. No, and, and sometimes we get when we get picked when we get selected on a team I don't know about you ladies but us guys sometimes there's some pride uh, that's involved in what position you get picked and sometimes you think you're going to be the MVP I promise you on this team called faith on Jesus's team you're not going to be the MVP because that slot has already been taken by the one that took your sins all the way to a cross and got crucified and then was powerful enough to resurrect from the dead he didn't need any more MVPs he was MVP amen he needs players. He needs people that are going to reveal his glory to the earth. And all of a sudden, he, the Bible starts to tell you about his obedience. He said he's willing to take off his sovereignty. He's willing to be emptied out. Now picture this. He's the son of God at the right hand of the father on a throne getting worship day, I mean, continually by thousands upon thousands of angelic beings. And now he is being requested and asked upon to take the plan formed by God, father, son, and and Holy Spirit and now do it and put it into action to reconcile God and man once and for all. And he's going to have to do something to do that. He's got to get up from his throne and take off his God nature and put on flesh. The Bible tells us here in Philippians he had to get emptied out. See, most people have it reversed. They think the most blessed places fill me up. Well, if you want to get filled up, empty out some things and make some room for God the Holy Spirit to put something in that makes you different than what you started with. Amen? God's not the straw that stirs the drink. He's the God that will take the cup and make it empty and pour God in your vessel to where you could be a reflection of His glory. Amen? And so all of a sudden, He starts to get emptied out. And He has to not only take off His God nature, but now He has to become a man. Born of flesh. No titles. No, no hoopla. He didn't get born in a palace. He didn't get born uh, with a throne awaiting him by the time he got 11. No, he was, he was born in a manger. By common people. A, ma a lady named Mary. A man that would raise him like his own son named Joseph. And he would empty himself out time and time again, being obedient once and for all, time after time, being obedient to the Father, standing in front of crowds. And we think that sometimes his worship was when he would take bread and break bread and feed thousands of people. No, his worship was when he stood before the crowd and said, I can't do anything that you don't allow me to do. I stand in a place of obedience in submission to who you are, being my heavenly Father. And now I ask for your blessings. And as he prayed in an act of obedience and the power of God, start, uh, the Father started to enable him by God the Holy Spirit he was able to break bread and feed thousands. But the act of obedience was the worship. And so what happens in moments where this truly comes to the surface is the last night of his life. And that's the night I want to talk about for just a few minutes. 
It's that night where we call it the Last Supper. And everybody thinks they know what went on at the Last Supper. Let's really get down to some extravagant worship when we talk about the Last Supper. Because the Last Supper, we, we think it's that dark room that's lit with some torches and some candles. And then it's so solemn. And yeah, but there's some emotion going on that has to, has to match the obedience of worship. Because what happens is, you, he invited 12 closest friends to go eat with him, knowing that two of them, one of them would sell him by in the morning, and the other one would betray him by in the morning. And he still asked them to eat. Now, let's just make a poll. All right, here we go. We're going to vote with our arms. We're going to raise our hands. How many of you, if you knew I would sell you out before morning, would invite me to dinner tonight? I didn't even get Gina to raise her hand. She loves me. <laughs> now, that's just human nature. We know they're going to do us wrong. They're going to uh, deny that they even knew us. And not only once, but three times. And then the other guy was going to sell us for, for pieces of silver. After he saw me open up the blinded eyes, he saw Jesus, not me, but Jesus, I'm just preaching. Uh, Jesus opened up the blinded eyes. He saw him raise the dead. He saw all those things and still was going to betray him. Now, it gets better than that because maybe some of you would think, I'll invite him to dinner, maybe change his mind. But then he grabs a towel. You're talking about obedience. He has to go to the same two guys that are in with the whole 12 and knowing that they're going to betray him and still says, i got to wash your feet. Now even those of you that would be humble enough and gracious enough to invite me to dinner knowing that I'm going to betray you, I don't think any of you are going to wash my feet. But he did. An act of obedience, not just showing us true leadership because leadership is not obtained by your title or your position. Your true leadership and the demonstration of your leadership is by example. And he took a towel to show people how to be humble and he knelt down in front of it. He even had a conversation with the guy that was going to deny him and Peter rears up and says, I'm not letting you wash my feet. You're the master. I'm the servant. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not a part of me. Interpreted that... that that was English. That was English to country boy. Country boy now to you. That means translated. Shut up. Sit down. Give me your foot. <laughs> you don't have any idea what's going on here, and you opening up that lip, and you starting to talk out of it, and I got to get you to hush so I can show you something. I know who you are, and I know your flaws, and I'm still going to wash your feet. By this time, one of them leaves. The one that will sell him leaves. And now he's down to 11. He takes those 11 guys into a garden. And he positions eight of the 11 in one place and says, Please pray for me. And then he takes Peter, James, and John and says, You three come with me. He puts them over here a little closer to him, sets them down, and says, Will you please, please pray for me? And he goes a little bit further. And I love how we mess stuff up when we paint Jesus. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have ever seen this picture in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like this is a big rock and then he's in perfect form. He's got, you know, all of this. All He's got like the, the Tim Tebow, you know, kneel down. And he's like this, praying like this. And, you know, no, that ain't it. 
The Bible says he was so anguished that his sweat became blood. He was so filled with anxiety that he was praying with such passion. And he was praying this way. Father, if there be any other way, let's go plan B. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. He goes back, looks for his friends, sleeping. That's when I'd have turned back into God. And I'd have said, zap. I'm going to meet them in heaven in a few hours, but they're going before me. I don't care who you are. That's good right there. He wakes them up. Says, man, I'm telling you. My life is hanging in the balance. I don't think Jesus was afraid. I I think his humanity, he was 100% God, 100% man. And I think his humanity may have struggled, uh, you know, a portion of his humanity may have struggled with the pain that was to come. But I think the anxiety was more over the sin. The sinless God that had never tasted the bitterness of sin would now not only taste the bitterness of sin, but become our sins, yours and mine. He would take off his perfection and once again empty himself out a selfless act of worship. And he prays again. I don't think he was like this. I think he was probably flat on his face. He was probably pounding the ground. He was probably saying, Father, is there any other way? I mean, how many of you have cried really hard? You ever had blood pop out your forehead? Oh, he must have been mad. He must have been more emotional than that but at the end of all three prayers he says not my will but your will be done see that's the greatest act of worship is when we can become selfless so the decision for the cross was made in the privacy of a prayer in a garden I've had the luxury uh, Amy if you'll get your team ready I've got a whole nother point to preach so don't get in a hurry But I need you ready. When, see the decision for the cross was a private matter in a garden, but he died on the cross publicly. So all of a sudden his private worship spilled out into humanity in a public forum and he stood between heaven and earth hanging on a cross, absolutely nude, brutalized, beaten beyond recognition and standing between heaven and earth and reconciling God and man. What's it mean to reconcile? It means to grab the hand of an almighty God and grab the hand of flawed humanity and bring them together. That's reconciliation. And he did that publicly. And when his private worship became a public demonstration, the Father shook the earth. Touch your neighbor and tell him, shake the earth. You say, you say, how? From that moment to today, there's not a sin that's ever been committed. You could take the, every sin that's ever been committed, multiply them by everybody on the face of the planet, and there's not anybody that doesn't call upon the name of the Lord and, lead, and being drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit, that at that moment, no matter what they've done, you can accumulate it and it go as high as Mount Everest that the blood of Jesus cannot cure. It has shook the earth that in every generation, the sins of every generation from the cross till today, the blood is enough. 
The blood is enough. I said the blood is enough. It's enough to heal you. It's enough to set you free. It's enough over and over, generation after generation. His blood doesn't lose potency. It doesn't lose power. It doesn't lose uh, uh, its anointing. It doesn't lose its delivering power. The blood of Jesus from the time that He shed it on the cross until the time that the trumpet blows and we get caught up to be with Him in the air, it will forgive, heal, set free, and deliver all mankind. Can somebody say Say amen. When an act of worship becomes a position of humbleness, that we become selfless instead of selfish, and that selflessness moves us to unity, that's when the bride of Christ stands up at her best. And the Father still shakes the earth. You say, what are we talking about? You can play a little something. All of a sudden, on the continent of Europe in the year of 1904, the churches were starting to fade and prayer started to intercede. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter if you were Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. It didn't matter who you were or where you come from. All of a sudden, they began to say, that really doesn't matter. What does matter is not the sign out on the front. What matters is the one in which we worship. And in the midst of that worship, Jesus become the forefront. And all of a sudden, they didn't talk about Psalms 103. They started living Psalms 103 that said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and bless His holy name. That doesn't a lot of times apply to the modern church because we're too busy saying God bless me to really bless Him. But when we become in a humble position of true worship and allow worship to be about Him and not about us, I didn't ask you for your favorite song. I want to know what is His favorite song. And I found out it's anyone we sing. Because it's not about how good you are, it's who it is that's singing it. When He says, I ah, hear my children. Hold on, hold down, choir of heaven. Tone down just a little bit. You keep doing your thing because I can be everywhere at the same time. I'll listen to you here, but I'm going to go where they are. I'm going to find myself at 2nd and Jackson. I'm going to go to Fort Myers, Florida because my kids are starting to sing. And from 1904 to 1905, it's called the Welsh Revival. Over 100,000 people got saved. Shaken when a church come into a true worship of selfless worship that allowed unity. And that unity shook the earth. Just like he did for Jesus, he started to do for the bride of Jesus. And then I'm a, I, I got one I'm going to preach and this place is going to light up. But I'm going to wait for that one for last. Then you go to the third great awakening. Anybody ever heard of Harvard and Yale, Princeton? It's called the Ivy League. Anybody ever heard of them? Say amen. You know how they started? In 1901, there was a prayer meeting by a businessman that had six people when it started. They were about three weeks prior to the Great Depression. The Great Depression, he had to be willing to pray with six because God needed to know he could trust him with what was to come. He prayed with six for about three weeks. The Depression hit, 10,000 people showed up for prayer. It's a wonder what a little bit of struggle will do for a man. And in the midst of that struggle, it birthed uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Those were schools meant to exalt the ministry. Harvard was developed and started so ministers could get higher educations out of a revival that lasted 99 years. Then one that I'm familiar with, Brownsville. 
ghetto of Pensacola. People say, where's Brownsville? Ghetto of Pensacola. A church that at the beginning was so worried about their facilities. Now, how can you be worried about the facilities? You in a rundown area of town, in a rundown building, and you worried about the plants? And on Father's Day, I think it's June 19, 1995, God started to see a church being willing to humble themselves into unity. And all of a sudden, 2.5 million people come to that church over the next five years, and 200,000 people get saved. That's pretty good shaking right there. But let me preach, my boy. I'm going to go get a chair and bring it up here where everybody can see so just the people on the front row can't see, could see. What happens when a man would rather be used than right? JJ, can you and Jerry come up here and move this out of my way real quick? I'm going to say that again. What happens on the earth when a man would better, rather be used than right? God will shake the earth. See, we've got, we, got, we, would, we fall prey to being right rather than being used. If you want to be right, you truly can't ever get into the position of Jesus. Because the position of Jesus was never right. He didn't deserve to die for your sins. He had to do something he didn't deserve to pay for something you couldn't pay for. That ain't right. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't right. How many of you will testify that racism is not right? I'm one of the few folks in town that's going to tackle this thing. But we're going to tackle it today. Because you think there's a man, an African-American man named William Seymour in the early 1900s, never pastored a small church. I can't find any history where he led a solo, where he played a guitar or a piano. But he did lead a revival. But before we get to the revival, it's called Azusa Street. Now, some of you are Baptists by nature. Some of you are are Presbyterian, Methodist. You come from all different walks of life. Some of you are Catholic. And, and, but me, I come from a, a crazy group of people called Pentecostals. Those folks that get something in their neck every now and then. That's my roots. I'm going to tell you why this man's so important to a man like me. Black man not only in his time, confronted racism in, in our culture or in our nation was something that was every day and was expected from the earth, from the world, from his, his community. But it was in the church. Look at your neighbor and say, God forgive us. This dude gets called into the ministry by the supernatural power of God and they tell the man based upon the color of his skin, well... We don't know. We're going to have to pray about it. Okay. This is the solution of their prayer. Again, look at your neighbor and say, God, forgive us. They said, you know what? We're going to let you come to our seminary. But you can't come in the classroom. Now, you're going to have to, when it's sunshiny, you're going to have to sit outside in the yard. 
we're going to open the window for you to hear. And if it rains, we're going to accommodate you there too. You can move your little chair into the hall and we'll crack the door. At that point in time, that's again when I would have lost my, 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 my um, humbleness. And I'd have said, okay, God. I, I mean, come on, let's, if we're going to have a revival, we got to get real. Okay? How many of you would have just said, okay, God, I tried. I wanted to do what you called me to do. But those crazy people over there told me to sit out in the yard and then if it rained, come in the hall and crack the, crack the door. You know that ain't right. I tried. They, they, they said no. Not this man. This man stood on a chair and listened in the crack of a window. And when it rained, he would sit in the hall and listen because he wasn't worried about being right. He was wanting to be used because in the moment where God took a humble man willing to be selfless enough to sit in a chair as an act of worship, he started to shake the earth because he didn't, pre he didn't use the preacher that had 10,000 people. He didn't use the guy that was on the radio. He didn't use the guy that was famous and in the newspaper he took the African American man that was willing to go to the crack of the window and the crack of the door and 500 million believers now today call themselves Pentecostal because one man was willing to do an act of worship with a chair wonder what he's going to do with these crazy people here at 2nd and Jackson Street that are willing to take folks this isn't this isn't common no there's still folks out there that think that the, there's going to be a Baptist section of heaven and a Methodist section of heaven and you know a Presbyterian section of heaven and God forbid there's going to be a Latino section of heaven and there's going to be a black section of heaven and there's going to be a white section of heaven and those folks may not even go to heaven but when we get there it's going to look a lot like this it's going to look a lot like people that would set their selves aside and allow the selflessness of looking towards the one that deserves all the reputation and he will shake the earth again for you and for me if we decide to take off ourselves and empty ourselves out and become vessels to be used when it ain't right but we're willing to still be used the father will still shake the earth for the bride You've said a while. So will you join me in an act of worship as they lead us for a moment that just says, God, I want to empty everything out. I don't want to build the reputation of City Gate. I want to build your reputation. I want to empty it out. I, if you ask me to sit in a chair and listen through a crack while they sing, I'm going to do that. I'm going to become an example of Jesus when he would lay down himself and empty himself out. I just want to empty out so he, we can be used.